Hey guys, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassanac Files. Thanks so much for joining me today, where we are going to be talking 304 of Lost Things. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassanac Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music, Pandora, pretty much you name it. If there is a platform you guys like to listen to podcasts on and cannot find the Sassanac Files, please reach out to me and let me know and I will see what I can do. Also, before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that you can find the Sassanac Files on both Facebook and Instagram. Make sure to follow me there for all sorts of Outlander news and fun games. We are currently working on our best episode of season four bracket, and we have just announced our final four episodes, which include Birds and the Bees, Blood of My Blood, Man of Worth, and honestly, the shocker of all shocks is The False Bride has won the final spot in the final four. It actually bumped out America the Beautiful, which really just blew me away. But, you know, that's why we're playing this game. So, yeah, make sure to head over to Facebook or Instagram to get your votes in for that. We should be starting our round three of voting later this week. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into talking about season three, episode four of Outlander of Lost Things. And guys... I absolutely love this episode. It makes me tear up every time I watch it. It's such a phenomenal piece. Oh, man. I just felt like it was really, it was really phenomenal. Honestly, the first half of season three in general just makes me feel good. But there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode, so I am here to break it down for you. Most of the plot points happen in the 18th century, so I'm going to talk about all the modern plot lines first. Just get them out of the way, and then we can talk about the nitty-gritty. So the first thing up today, I want to talk about Roger and Brianna. They have this um, developing cute little relationship Brie and Claire have been in Scotland for a few months, probably at this point, and Roger's in love with Brie. <laughs> like, you can see it all over his face, and they just have this cute rapport. They clearly have a deep trust in each other by this point. I think that is evidenced very clearly by their conversation in the study when Brianna's like, am I a terrible person? And she's talking to him about how much she doesn't want to lose her mom. And she hopes that they find Jamie. But at the same time, she kind of hopes they don't because she's afraid that her mom's going to leave. And if she does, she's afraid something's going to happen to her. And Roger's like, you know, I don't think that makes you a bad person. It just makes you a daughter who cares about her mom. And it's just this kind of conversation that really makes me love Roger and Brie, and I don't think that we get enough of it in this series. I felt like if we did get more of it, people might be more invested in Roger and Brianna as a couple. So overall, I just loved all the flirting in this episode, like all of it. And something that I come back to every time I watch of Lost Things is the scene with 
The car broken down on the side of the road and Roger's under the hood trying to fix it, but clearly doesn't know what he's looking at. <laughs> and Brianna's just sitting there talking to him, giving him a hard time about Fiona. And Roger's so cute. He's like stumbling over himself to be like, no, she's not my girlfriend. What are you talking about? Like, I don't have a girlfriend. No, no, no. Because he wants Brie and he doesn't want there to be any misconception about that, which I just find adorable. And then to find out that Brianna could have fixed the car all along and she just trots over and like pops the distributor cap back in place and they're all good. (laughs) Like, it's so cute. First and foremost, I just wanted to get that out of the way that I love Roger and Brie in this episode. And really, in all honesty, I love Roger and Brie in season three, period. I felt like their relationship was really well adapted. And what we see of them in the next episode, Freedom and Whiskey, it gave me such optimism that this was going to be handled well. So, um... We can talk about that more next week. But yes, I did love where their relationship was headed in this episode. Secondly is Claire's journey through all of this. We don't spend a lot of time with Claire in this episode. So it's kind of hard to glean any sort of arc for her in this episode. But frankly, Of Lost Things is really about her coming to terms with what Mrs. Graham warned her about all of those years ago. You can't spend your life chasing a ghost. At this point, her and Brie have been in Scotland probably three times longer than they anticipated being there. And we find that out because Joe calls Claire and he's like, hey, I miss you. When are you coming back? (laughs) What month is soon in? (laughs) Which... I freaking love Joe. Joe is the peanut butter declares jelly. Like they are just two peas in a pod. And it makes perfect sense when you think about it. These two made it through Harvard Medical School with everything against him, him being a man of color, her being a woman. Nobody expected them to succeed. And quite honestly, they probably did everything they could to make sure they didn't succeed. And they still made it, and they're still two incredible surgeons. So I love that, that Claire was able to find somebody in medical school to just, like, understand her. Because at that point, she was in a marriage that wasn't exactly a supportive and healthy marriage. And to know that Joe was there for her, I just, I really love that. So I always get a kick of seeing Joe Abernathy in these episodes. And when he has the phone call with Claire, like he knows something's up just by talking to her. She's just not herself. And of course, she hasn't told him about Jamie and that's understandable. But regardless, like he wants her to come back and he's just really shocked that she's not willing to. She's really still, she's like kind of one foot in and one foot out. She really wants to find Jamie, but she's kind of losing hope at that point. So that is really where the title of this episode comes into play. Last week, I was talking about how each of these episodes in the first half of season three really has incredible meaning to the plot of those episodes. 
of Lost Things is one of those titles because each of our main characters is losing something. Claire is losing hope that she'll ever see Jamie again, which isn't something that she, like, honestly, she had lost hope a long time ago. And then when Roger told her that Jamie had survived Culloden, she began to hope again. And you really just see how devastated she is at the end of this episode as they go home. They're sitting in the bar and she looks at Brianna and she says, it's time to go home. Like she realizes that she can't keep doing this to herself. It's it's a long shot that they would ever find Jamie and that if they did find Jamie, that he would be alive. You know, the 18th century wasn't exactly the safest place to be. And let's face it, Jamie has shit luck. So (laughs) the odds of her getting good news, if any news, out of this research was just, they weren't good. And so Claire decides to go back to Boston and Brianna is supportive of that decision. I know that she wanted to find Jamie as well. I mean, surely out of curiosity, if nothing else. And when Claire decides to leave, it takes... Brie from Roger as well, which was something so interesting that I read in the making of Outlander. When they're doing the montage at the end and Roger is looking at the plane in his hands, he said it's really easy for people to interpret that he's pining for Brianna. And I'm sure that's part of it. But he said, honestly, he's looking at that plane and thinking about his life and thinking about his father, like all the things that he's lost and what that time in his life meant to him. And so I thought that that was really powerful as well to kind of get an insight into Roger as a character and how much thought Rick puts into his portrayal of him. It was really great. That pretty much covers 1968. I mean, Roger and Brie and Claire put a lot of energy and time into trying to find Jamie. And it was really a stroke of luck that they found him on the Ardsmere prison rolls at all. And so I think that gave them a lot of hope, but slowly but surely, just no news at all. And I'm sure it didn't freaking help matters that Jamie's changing his name every five years, you know, (laughs) that surely didn't help matters. So in this episode, he's assumed the identity of Alex McKenzie. If you'll remember in All That's Paid, John said, you know, it might be wise to change your name (laughs) because... Your name's pretty recognizable, and you can't really hide that you're Scottish, but you can definitely hide the fact that you're Red Jamie, because the Dunsanies lost their only son at Preston Pants. He was killed in the battle, and so Lady Dunsany, she's held on to that. She does not like Jacobites. She does not agree with their cause. She doesn't respect what they did, and in her eyes... They are the reason that her son is dead, which, I mean, I get where she's coming from. But I loved the conversation that Jamie had with Lord Dunsany, where he basically says, you know, I have no quarrel with you. Your side lost, and that's that. It's not like I admire a man who fights for his cause. And I think the moment that Jamie really won over Lord Dunsany was when He says, the pain of losing a child never leaves you. I've lost two children myself. And we really see in that moment the grief that Jamie still has. 
Jamie has experienced so much pain in his life. It's really hard to watch that. I mean, I think Sam does such a great job with all of these little micro acting moments on his face. You can really just see what he's thinking in that moment. And to internalize what Jamie's saying, he's lost faith and the child that claire was carrying brianna of course he doesn't know what happened to her if she even survived the birth because he knows that claire miscarried faith so the odds of having a successful pregnancy are about 50 50 and so regardless of what happened whether it was a successful pregnancy or not jamie's that child is lost to jamie he feels that pain he lives with it every day And I think in this episode, he's really come to terms with his grief and learned to live with it. But it was really great to see that he's not just moved on with his life and completely forgotten about Claire and Brie. Like, he misses them and he wishes they could be with him, but he realizes that he can't live his life shut up in a hole because they're not with him. So... Jamie's at a healthy place when this episode um, opens up. And I think it's worth noting that actually in the books, Jamie says that his time at Hellwater was the happiest time that he had in his 20 years apart from Claire. He felt at peace there and he felt the most complete. His life was not complicated. He did his job. He got to spend time with horses. He got to spend time with Willie. And as far as he's concerned, that's all he needed in life. It was an uncomplicated existence, which I think was very refreshing for Jamie on a lot of levels. Jamie being a paroled prisoner in the service of the Densanies, his position is incredibly precarious from the very beginning, primarily because Lady Densaney doesn't know who the heck he is. She doesn't know he's a paroled Jacobite prisoner, at least. Lord Dunsany thinks she doesn't know. Come to find out, she does, in fact, know who he is. So he kind of lives in constant fear. He's found this pocket of happiness, not necessarily happiness, but contentedness. And he lives in fear that that's going to be ripped away from him at any moment. And I think that it really does impact him to see that John kept his promise. He does check in on him to make sure things are going well. That goes a long way towards Jamie's faith in John that we see at the end of this episode, that John kept his word. And to see the growth of Jamie and John's friendship in this episode is really just something I super enjoy. Of course, I love watching David Barry anytime he's on screen, anytime he's portraying Lord John, because I think he does a fantastic job and I could talk about that for hours. But quite frankly, I just love Lord John as a character. And after rewatching this episode, it's always kind of broken my heart to see Jamie leave Willie, but I get it. The only reason he felt like he could do that is because he had Isabel and John looking after his son. He knew that Willie was in good hands with them. So 
I like that the showrunners took time to develop Isabel and gave John a little bit more face time so that we as viewers even could feel comfortable with that decision that Jamie made. Don't get me wrong, it's still a humongous sacrifice and it breaks my heart every time I watch it. But you really can feel that things are going to be okay. Like Willie is going to be taken care of and loved. I like that they they made that decision to develop those two secondary characters a little bit more to give us some ease as we move into the next episode. I want to take a moment to talk about Isabel because, man, how Isabel and Geneva grew up in the same set of circumstances and ended up being such different people really just blows my mind. Like It really does. I mean, they are two completely opposite women. I just love Isabel. Isabel is such a sweetheart. You see it from the very beginning when she um, goes to the stables and she's talking to Jamie, something that Geneva would never lower herself to, to talk to a groom. There are three distinct scenes with Jamie and Isabel in this episode. And I think each one of them kind of ups the ante on like how much we care about her as a character. The first one, she's talking about how it saddens her that her father keeps his horses contained. Jamie's like, yeah, but these stables are the finest I've ever seen. You know, it's it's okay. And she looks at him and she says, a cage is still a cage. And I think that strikes Jamie on a level that Isabel probably has no clue even exists for him. Because, yeah, it's the exact same situation for Jamie. He's in a situation that he can live with. He's given clean clothes and a dry place to sleep and he makes money, but he's still a prisoner. As Lord Dunsany reminded him, he said, but you are still a prisoner. Don't forget it. So I do love that scene. It shows she's got such a kind heart. And then in the scene where we find out that Geneva died and she's so upset, you know, she just lost her sister. It's her anger coming through. And I felt like the actress that plays Isabel, she did such a good job showing her grief over her sister. And that Isabel is the only one that knew that Willie was Jamie's son And that she would never betray her sister's trust as to tell someone, but it still really angers her. She blames Jamie for her sister's death, as Jamie does. Jamie blames himself for Geneva's death because, you know, Jamie, he's always assuming responsibility for things, even if it's not his responsibility. I mean, he had zero control over the situation. And for him to still hold himself accountable, I mean, there are moments in the books, especially in the Lord John series, where you really see how riddled with guilt Jamie is over this. And it breaks my heart because it was Geneva's choice. This was Geneva's doing. And even in the books, like, Jamie says, look, there are times of the month when you are more likely to get pregnant. I know you may not have 
any idea how this works, but like you need to try to like schedule a date to do this, but make sure that it's as far away from like such and such time as possible because I don't want to conceive a child doing this. And she obviously just ignores him completely, which is really frustrating. And it's frustrating for him as well when he finds out that she is with child, that she didn't listen to him. And now he's going to have an illegitimate child out there with their reputation always at risk because Geneva was rash and didn't really think about the consequences of her decision. So, yeah, it's a very complicated situation. But back to that final scene with Jamie and Isabel, where after um, the events of Geneva's death and all of that, when Isabel is apologizing to Jamie. And I think this scene more than anything tells us what kind of a person Isabel is because it's all in the words. She says, I must apologize. I was very angry that morning, mad with grief. I needed someone to blame, but it wasn't your fault. My sister was a difficult woman and you were kind to her. So that's what matters to her. And she sees that, that it wasn't Jamie's fault. And whatever did happen, he wouldn't have crossed over that line. In fact, he tried very hard not to cross that line. I think that he was honestly taken back a bit whenever he realized that Geneva was flirting with him. Whenever they went riding, you can kind of see it. Like, he's just kind of confused when she's talking about... What do you think of my betrothed and oh, the, only, the most attractive quality about him is his wealth. She's being very playful with him and he's really confused. And then all of a sudden it's like the light comes on and he's like, what? Why? Like, what is happening here? I'm just a groom. He doesn't understand. And I mean, <laughs> in short order, he does begin to understand, but he's really just pissed off because She's toying with him and in a way that is absolutely not okay. The scene that comes to mind with this is when she pretends to fall off her horse and he's extremely concerned about her, like, and probably frightened for his job. I mean, could you imagine he's on pins and needles anyway? And then, oh my God, I killed the, the daughter of the estate. Oh my God. You know, he's probably panicking and he's, you know, going to take her home. And then she just starts laughing like, haha, got you. I just loved, loved when he dropped her in the mud. Like, <laughs> And I remember Sam talking about how he enjoyed that day so much because normally it was him covered in blood and mud and all kinds of gross stuff. And he got to drop Hannah in the mud. <laughs> so he had a little bit of glee at that. But that scene between Jamie and Geneva, I think, really sets up everything that follows. Like, he has caught her eye, and, I mean, how could he not, right? Like, how could he not catch her eye? I, <laughs> it really doesn't surprise me on any level. It's just so interesting, this entire situation. And I was reading the description for this episode when I was watching it on Netflix, and... It was saying, like, Jamie maneuvers the tricky, you know, like, 
whatever. And I'm like, yeah, this episode is a freaking minefield of shit. <laughs> like, it is a pasture full of cow patties for Jamie <laughs> this entire episode. Like, I feel so bad for him. The scene where Geneva finally comes to Jamie and tells him what she wants from him. On so many levels, that scene just sticks with me because, first of all, it's a difficult topic to breach. I think Jamie is just absolutely stunned that she would even presume. I love the dialogue because she's saying, you know come to my room and he's like have you lost your mind and he said well if you had one to lose and she says how dare you speak to me that way and he gets in her face and he says no how dare you speak to me that way like how dare you presume that I would stoop so low as to steal the virtue of the daughter of the man that I work for Like, are you kidding me? And a lassie of breeding making indecent proposals to a groom. Like, you have got to be joking. Jamie is not some commoner. And I think this is often lost in translation. I think Sam did a great job putting it into his performance. Jamie knows how the system works. He was brought up not in the exact same set of circumstances, obviously, but... He wasn't nobility, but he was a well-off family, much like the Dunsanies. And, you know, that kind of behavior was not trifled with. It was not okay. And for him to be put in that kind of situation, like, he's appalled by it. And when Geneva realizes that this isn't going to be an easy road to hoe, she just flips the switch and starts threatening his family. And I think there's really nothing more effective to get Jamie Fraser to do something than to threaten the people he cares about, which is really shitty. I mean, it never really ends well, but it definitely is motivation for him. It's as it would be for anybody. I mean, to to have your loved ones threatened like the whole reason he gave himself over to be captured was so that the redcoats would leave his family alone and then to so many years later have that dangled in front of him again like if you refuse me and you run like i'm sure they'll post soldiers outside your family home wouldn't that be awful it's so easy to i mean she is a bitch don't get me wrong i do not like geneva And she makes it so easy to hate her just by her personality. But it's honestly all a front. And I think Hannah James did such a fantastic job in the scene where they actually make love or have sex. I don't want to call it make love because I don't. That's not what it was. Do the deed. okay? she does a really good job in that scene. It's really easy to forget how young Geneva is, and I know that's not an excuse. Believe me, like, people use that same excuse for what Leary did to Claire, and I do not agree with that. They're still old enough to know what they're doing and to know that it is not okay. What I do sympathize with in Geneva's situation is that she literally had 
no control over her life whatsoever. And it's really hard to not feel some sympathy for that poor woman. Like she's been given in marriage to this man who is old enough to be her grandfather. And the idea that women were just supposed to sit back and take something like that, like it literally goes against everything I have ever been taught as a 21st century woman. And to think that women in the 18th century were just okay with it because that's the way it was, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, there's no way they were okay with it ever. And so Geneva has this steely exterior. She's very closed off, very spoiled and entitled. Don't get me wrong. She is all of those things. I am not saying... It's all a front. I mean, because she does. She does have a front that she puts up. But to say that those things aren't there at all is past first base. Like, it's just not... It's in the outfield somewhere. (laughs) Like, so yeah, I... Geneva's a very complicated character, for sure. But I understand why she did what she did on some level, because I can't imagine sitting there and taking what was given to her under those circumstances. And she felt like the only way that she could have any sort of control over the situation was to have sex with the man of her choice. That was the only way that she could maintain any semblance of control over her life. And she tried. I mean, The crap part of it is, is that women were not allowed to have contact with men. They weren't allowed to engage in foreplay or flirtatious behavior because that put them at risk of being called a whore. So it's an awkward situation. Like Geneva tried flirting with Jamie. You can see it. I had never really noticed it before. It's so easy to just see the exterior that she puts up, but she really does try to pull him in and use her feminine wiles on him. That's especially what you see in the writing scene when she's trying to talk to him and trying to get to know him. And I honestly genuinely think that she's trying to pull him in without resorting to the methods she ends up going for. Um, But he's not having any of it. He isn't willing to risk his position at the Hellwater estate at all. So he's like, no, I'm not having this. Her choices are down to sit down, shut up, and give in to what her parents have arranged for her. Or take the next step and blackmail Jamie. Those are her options. And so she, being her stubborn, passionate, strong-willed self decides that she's going to do this for herself. She's going to be selfish about it. So that's what leads to the situation in the bedroom. And that scene, it was so great on so many levels, honestly. Not necessarily the sex. It was Jamie's attitude when he came in. He's like, yeah, I'm here, but not by choice. And let's not forget it, okay? But he also has sympathy for her in a way that is so interesting. Like, I think this is part of the reason that people love Jamie so much is that he's a genuinely nice, caring person. He's generous in heart, 
and in soul. Like he is just a stand up person. Literally, this woman forced him to her bedroom by threatening those that he loved. And he's still like, you can watch me undress if you want. And then like bothers to walk her through her first time and be tender and gentle with her. It's just really mind blowing, honestly. Like Geneva had a lot of balls. And if anything else, you have to appreciate that about this woman. Like she blackmailed this guy into sleeping with her, having no idea what she was getting into. And like if that had been any other guy, her first experience sexually would have been very, very, very different. And a couple of you commented on the listener thread about that. And I just find it so true and so valid. Like, she's she got lucky with Jamie. And I don't think that was by mistake. I think that she knew that was part of the reason that she chose him. Like, she knew she could rely on that at least. But, yeah, it's just amazing. And in that moment, like, he's standing in front of her naked and... She's so scared. Like, you see all of her walls drop. And that's the moment I think that I felt for her most because she's so young. She's like 17, 16 or 17. She's scared. Like, she's just scared. And Jamie looks at her and he says, we don't have to do this. You can change your mind. It's okay. But she, she's not going to change her mind. She's not going back. That aspect of her, I think Jamie may not necessarily like it, but he respects it. And in the books, when he talks about Geneva to other people um, after her death, he does talk about her strength and her fire. And it's really just, it's so great. I'm not going to say more because I'm afraid I'll spoil stuff for other people, but... There are things that he tells people that he describes Geneva in a way that she's not normally described. Like he saw her differently than other people saw her because of what transpired between them. So I find that really interesting that I think he does admire her strength and her tenacity and her willingness to look out for herself and do things for herself because Women weren't allowed to do that. Women were made to do as they were told in that time. And he fully gets that. And honestly, that probably reminded him a lot of Claire. Like we talked, I talked in uh, my episode about Surrender 302, that Mary probably reminded him of Claire in a certain way. And I honestly think that can probably be said of Geneva as well. As much as Jamie hated to admit it to himself, there is probably a part of him that thought of Claire when he saw how Geneva was fighting for herself and for what she thought she needed. So I find that really amazing, honestly. To be frank, though, and to be completely honest, I just want to clarify I do not agree with what Geneva did to Jamie at all. I do believe that this was rape. Women can commit rape just as much as men can, guys. I am going to come out and say it. Like, anytime that you are forcing a person into your bed, into sexual acts, regardless of if it is by 
blackmail or physical force, it's rape. So, yes, she, Geneva is young and she is confused and she's scared and she just wants to take control of her life. That is all fine and dandy, but her acts were rape. She forced Jamie into a situation he did not want to be in. And um, that is not right. It is not fair. I'm not saying I agree with her actions. I'm just saying, like, it's a feat by the actors and by the writers that you can see her side of things and you can at least sympathize with her a little bit. It's not that she made the right decision, but I do... I do see her side of things a little bit. So that being said, we'll talk about Jamie and John's relationship because it grows a lot in this episode. I think Jamie appreciates John being true to his word, as I said before, and that that goes a long way towards him being able to feel as though he's in a place where he can finally leave William. There are... Two scenes in particular, the one in the stable where John is saying, I know Willie's mad at you, but you are doing the right thing by leaving. And John is describing Willie. He's saying the lad has the same cock to his head, the same set of his shoulders, and he has your eyes. Like it wouldn't be long before Willie saw himself that he looks like you like it's just not an avoidable thing jamie can't keep pretending it doesn't exist i realized in that moment because i was really paying attention to david and sam's faces and jamie gets this really faint smile on his face as john is describing willie he's so proud to have a son like even if he can't come out and say it that this is my son and I am so proud to be his father. Like, he's never going to be able to have that. But to hold Willie in this special place in his heart and know that he's his, Claire tells Jamie that in A. Malcolm, he's yours. And that's, it's so heartwarming to see. Like, Tony Graffia said, In the making of Outlander, she said something really notable, and I remember it so vividly, that the reason she wanted to write of Lost Things and Freedom and Whiskey is because there were such parallels in the episode. Like, of Lost Things is an episode about fatherhood. Jamie has lost his prior two children, and... With the birth of William, regardless of the means, it gave Jamie something he has always longed for, the opportunity to be a father and to have an impact on a young person's life. Even if it was just for the first six years, it was really something that meant a lot to Jamie. And so to see that parallel play out across To Freedom and Whiskey, which is an episode that is very much an episode about motherhood. And we'll talk about that a lot next week. Um, I just love that there aren't a lot of parallels between Jamie and Claire's storyline in this particular episode. But when you branch it out and you look at Of Lost Things versus Freedom and Whiskey, that's where you get the parallels of this particular story. Willie just means so much to Jamie. And it 
is literally written all over his face from day one. Like, Jamie raises that pistol and shoots Ellesmere the second he thinks his son is in danger. He doesn't even think about it. He doesn't hesitate. And then when he runs over and picks up little baby Willie, you can see that man falling in love with his son. It is so beautiful, guys. And I can't help but be really sad to wonder how he would have been with Faith and Brianna, but it was also very fulfilling as a viewer to see him holding his son. Even though he wasn't going to be able to raise him and claim him as his own, to just have that moment of like fatherly pride is just so great to see. And it's so easy to see why that six years at Hellwater where he helped raise Willie was the happiest time of that 20 years apart from Claire because at least he had his son at least he had that small corner of his world that was complete even for just a little bit I love all of the little scenes that Sam had with Clark Butler the little boy who plays Willie I felt that they were so perfect to see this bond forming between Jamie and Willie But it's also really interesting because when Jamie tells Willie that he's leaving, he's like, but you can't go. And then he like runs over and kicks over the buckets of water. Jamie smacks his bottom, you know, he he imparts a little bit of fatherly advice. He says, you'll hear no in the world and you best get used to it. (laughs) Like, um, so, you know, Jamie has had an impact on Willie. It's interesting that the Dunsanies trust him so much with the structure in Willie's life. I find that so fascinating. So very interesting indeed on that front. And further to the point with that conversation, Willie shouts, I hate you. And Jamie says, well, I'm not very fond of you either just now, you wee bastard. And Willie says, I'm not a bastard. Take it back. So... Even a boy as young as six years old has already heard the whispers that Willie is not his father's son, that Geneva had slept with another man, and the whispers are out there. And I think that pushes Jamie to go even more because the last thing he wants is to be responsible for his son's reputation being ruined. He's scared to death that if people find out he is Willie's father, that Willie will lose everything he has. And he doesn't want that at all. So knowing that he can entrust Willie to Isabel and John and Lady Dunsany, he finally feels like he can go. And I just felt like that was the absolute most heartbreaking thing <laughs> one of the most heartbreaking moments of outlander period is when willie is running after jamie saying mac don't go mac don't go please and jamie's doesn't even look back like it's taking every ounce of strength he has and he's got tears in his eyes and he's riding away to willie screaming don't go and oh god It's so bad. 
Because when we're talking about things that are being lost in this episode, Jamie's losing his son. As if he hadn't lost enough already, he's losing his son. So that freaking sucks. The silver lining to it all is like the last time I watched this episode with my mom, she was like, hang on, Jamie, Claire's coming. (laughs) And I feel like that's all that keeps me going watching this episode is knowing that there is an end to his pain. (laughs) At least a partial end to his pain. Yeah, it's really something. It's really something. A couple of noteworthy scenes as well were the um, stinking papist scene. I love the scene. Like, Grandmama says only he uh, stinking papists say prayers in front of heathen images. <laughs> um, well, I am a stinking papist. It's such a cute scene. And Brandon Mayer, when he was being interviewed about this episode, he's the director. Um, he said that he was really just in awe of Sam in this episode in general. He thinks it's one of his best performances. But honestly, what was the icing on top of the cake was seeing these scenes between Sam and Clark because they just have something so special. And I I absolutely adore the conversation they have in this scene because Jamie knows he's leaving and that these last few days with his son will probably be the last time he ever sees him. And so to get this scene where he's talking about the patron saint of lost things and how he prays for his wife and Willie says, you don't have a wife. And he says, not anymore, but I remember her always. You really see this wistfulness in Jamie. Like, he holds Claire in a special place in his heart. And she's with him always, which is so beautiful to see. But I love that he takes Willie and, like, they sit next to each other. And he says, "Um, one day you'll have a wife. And he's like, but I don't want a wife. You know, typical six-year-old stuff. And... He says, oh, trust me, lad, there's a woman out there for you, and you'll find her one day. And then he kind of just pauses and, like, half smiles to himself, and he says, or she'll find you. And in that moment, if you listen to the score very softly in the background, you hear Jamie and Claire's song playing. And it's so gorgeous. It's such a moment that gives me chills. Like, he's thinking about... Claire literally dropping out of the clear blue sky onto his doorstep. Claire found him for sure. So I really love that scene for a thousand different reasons. It's so fantastic. The other scene that really touched my heart in a special place was the dialogue of Jamie and Geneva after they have sex, their pillow talk. When she leans over and she says, I love you. And he says... It's not love. And this is kind of where I did feel a little sorry for Geneva because she just doesn't know. And I thought it was really beautiful that Jamie took the time to explain to her. And he says, what you feel for me now, you could have with any other man. It's not particular. Love is when you give your heart and soul to another and they give theirs in return. 
it's a beautiful line. Like we know that Jamie is so good at putting his thoughts into words, but at the same time, it's also like really sad that knowing that Geneva, A, doesn't know what that feels like, B, will never experience it, and C, that Jamie has experienced it and lost it. There's just so many different things about that scene. Like she realizes that he doesn't feel that for her and that she doesn't feel that for him. And I think that maybe on some level she kind of feels bad <laughs> about her actions afterwards. I mean, we'll never know. But I'd sure like to think so. That after that conversation with Jamie, like, maybe there was a little bit of regret at some point. So, alrighty, guys. That's about all I have as far as analysis. Performance of the episode, I think, hands down, goes to Sam Hewen this week. Of course, there were so many other phenomenal performances. Hannah James comes to mind. And I actually really thought that Rick Rankin did a good job. He just had a very minimal role. He only had like four or five scenes. But I did think that he did a really good job. Hannah um, showing that double side to Geneva was really great. But uh, Clark Butler, he's so cute and did a good job portraying like Willie's characteristics. He's very much both like his mother and his father and his strong will and um, determination. And he is very spoiled. So it was cute to see that. I thought Clark did a good job. But uh, Sam Hewen for me, takes the gold, takes the first place trophy, whatever you want to give him. All the gold stars, because I felt like he really did a good job this episode. And as for my quote of the episode, it really was no question for me, because when Jamie gives Willie the snake that he carved for him, he Willie says, but I don't have anything to give you to remember me by. And Jamie says, Dinafash lad, I'll remember you. That line brings tears to my eyes. Like, I was just like, and cue the tears. Like, here come the waterworks. Because Willie just has no idea how much he means to Jamie. And you can see it etched all over Jamie's face and in every action he has. He loves his son. And... While he knows he's breaking Willie's heart to leave, he knows it's the right thing to do to protect Willie. So overall, I love that line so much. And I felt this was a fantastic episode, like fan freaking tastic. And it actually got a lot of people talking whenever I put out the thread for you guys to put your thoughts down. I had a lot of comments to sift through, and I have a few of them now. So without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to what you guys had to say on this episode. Joanna Beard says, I'm still in catch-up mode with your podcast and haven't listened to this one yet, but I wanted to comment. This is a favorite episode of mine for a lot of reasons, but the one thing I hate is that Tony Graffia replaced the rosary with the wooden snake. Her logic being that they would have taken it away when Jamie was in prison. Come on, Tony. This is fiction and anything can happen. Besides, Diana Gabaldon does explain why Jamie still has the rosary. It's on the first page of Voyager, chapter 10. The English had let him keep it as the string of beechwood beads had no value. 
I know Tony doesn't read ahead, but Meryl Davis and Matt Roberts have read all the books. They know what happens later on. Why was she allowed to make that change? It would be a spoiler to say what happens, but that rosary does come up later. If the series gets that far, Tony will probably write that episode and make up her own story. I'm sorry, I know there are a lot who love Tony, but she's not a favorite of mine. I always get the feeling she thinks she can do better than Diana Gabaldon. Just my honest opinion. All right, Joanna. Hello, first of all. I've been corresponding with Joanna via email quite a bit lately because she has been catching up on all of the podcasts. So, so good to finally have you almost caught up to where that you can converse with us on the podcast. I do see where you're coming from. The rosary is extremely important in the future. However, I also think that the snake could find its way back in. For those of you that don't know, um, and obviously, I think it's probably pretty clear by this point, but uh, Jamie gave Willie his rosary instead of a wooden snake in the books. The rosary was one that Jamie had kept all through his um, the war and all through prison, and it had no value, so the Redcoats let him keep it, and then he passed that on to Willie. And Willie keeps that rosary for a long time. So that's all I'll say about it. But there is a little bit of worry that with it just being a carved snake, that it won't have had the significance and that Willie will not have kept track of it, which I do kind of worry about because of um, some information that we get in season four, but also it would not surprise me if what happened in season four was just Willie saying, I'm not a boy anymore. Of course, I don't have it like lying, but he really does have it. I would not be surprised about that either. So also, Joanna, you're not the first person to complain about Tony. I know that a lot of book readers do not like Tony and that's fine. I honestly think that she does a really great job with her adaptations. I don't ever get the feeling that she thinks she can do better than Diana, honestly. And if she does feel that way, like shame on her because it's because of Diana that we watch this show at all, like that this universe exists. But I don't really honestly get that vibe from her. I know that a lot of people do feel that way, people that I have talked to personally, And I'm sorry that you guys feel that way. Like, honestly, a lot of my favorite episodes were written by Tony, this one included. So that does make me a little sad. Hopefully in the future, she can redeem herself. (laughs) My next comment is from Indra Gilin. She says, Geneva was an entitled, spoiled brat. Her sister grew up in the same environment. She didn't turn out the same. I didn't sympathize with her at all, but I understood why she wanted her first time to be with someone like Jamie. I don't believe Lady Dunsany knew Jamie was William's father, but if Jamie would have stayed, she would have eventually figured it out. The idea of Isabel marrying Lord John was great. I think it was a good decision, even though Lord John wasn't necessarily in love. This episode displayed the heartaches Jamie kept experiencing throughout the 20 years he was away from Claire. I also felt that as if the friendship between Jamie and Lord John became even more connected through William. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in regards to uh, William strengthening John and Jamie's relationship. And in all honesty, there are times in the future when William is the thread that holds them together. 
in a book nine, I think we're going to see that even more. But to be frank, like the whole marriage between John and Isabel just completely made sense to me. It gave a whole level of practicality to life. Like John needed to get married. He, If you're a terminal bachelor, people start talking in the 18th century, should I say. And he really did honestly care for Isabel. It might not have been a romantic love, but he definitely did love her, especially like a sister. And I think that that is even more evident in the Lord John books. We do get to see a little bit of that. All the Lord John books take place before these events, Jamie leaving Hellwater and John and uh, Isabel getting married. Um, It doesn't cover those yet. I'm sure within the next book or two that will come up, but... Uh, John really does care about Isabel, and I think that it makes perfect sense for them to get married. I'm really glad that they did. And to be quite honest, I think that their marriage gave William a wonderful place to be raised with two parents who really loved him. John, I think, partially did it for Jamie to take care of Willie. Um, Of course, he proposed to Isabel before he knew that Jamie was planning on leaving, but he still knew that if he married Isabel, he would get to be in Willie's life and by extension, Jamie's. So I do think that was a motivating factor, but also I think that he felt Isabel was a natural next step for him. If he was going to have a wife, he couldn't think of another woman he would prefer to be married to, I guess. So all of that being said, uh, let's move on to the next comment, which is from Tina Haney. She said, I did feel empathy for Geneva. Women of that era had so little chance to control their destiny. And who would not be tempted by Mac? Shrug emoji. Absolutely, I think her mother knew the truth. And finally, I was not surprised John asked Isabel to marry him. After all, it provided some semblance of a conventional life. It allowed him a continuing connection to Jamie. I agree about all of that. Honestly, I don't think that Lady Dunsany knew at first, that Jamie was Willie's father. I think that she started to get a little bit of an inkling when Jamie refused his freedom in order to stay at Hellwater. I do think that that kind of gave her an inkling. And then as Willie continued to grow and started to look more and more like Jamie, she really put the pieces together. So that by the time Jamie decided to leave, she knew, is my honest thinking. Alrighty, guys. Well, that about wraps up this episode. I want to take a moment to ask if you are enjoying what you are listening to with the Sassanac Files, please take a moment to rate and review on your platform of choice. Make sure to follow the Sassanac Files on social media and pay attention for the next listener thread available here in a few days for next week's episode, Freedom and Whiskey. Make sure to get your thoughts in there so that we can chat about it on the next episode of The Sassanac Files. Also, if you would rather, you can just send me an email at thesassanacfiles at gmail.com. Until next week, stay safe out there. I will chat at you later when we discuss 305 Freedom and Whiskey. Have a good one, guys.